Good morning, friends. It is good to be able to preach God's Word to His people through the power of His Spirit. I'd like to ask each of you to please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. Believe it or not, we are going to be reading the rest of 21 and all the way through 22 this morning. Right? Ooh. So I hope you have your Bibles out and you had a big breakfast. No. It's actually, it's not going to be that long, don't worry. Um, but I, I want you to have your Bibles out, though. So while the kids are finding the, uh, the bingo pictures, and once again, it's a blackout. If you're doing the bingo, it's a blackout except one. So your, your mission is to find the one that's missing. And it seems like just about all we have left are bookmarks and uh, Mardi Gras beads and one or two doodads. So I will be hitting the Dollar Tree at some point this week. To, uh, to replenish the, the treasure chest. The, now it's the $1.25 tree. Thanks a lot. Anyway, it is. It really is. It's not a joke. Um, so while they're finding the bingo pictures, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how today's message is going to play out. Um, with the exception of the last verse, this is all one really long story, and it occurs all in the same day, and it's got a whole lot of moving parts. And so we're going to read through the whole thing today, to catch one overarching theme, and we're, we're going to come back next week, uh, or another week, to dig deeper into that middle section, because a lot of you are going to be like, oh, this is where all the meat is. Trust me, we'll come back to it, unless Jesus comes back, or he takes me to him. We're going to go back over this, so don't worry about it. Um, what's that? Oh, he will come back. Um, oh, well, either, either way is fine with me, but uh, yeah. So, um, but we are going to come back and dig into the middle section at some point. So today, we're going to be moving a lot more quickly than usual. So I'm going to ask, I hope you can all keep up. Uh, for the sake of, of understanding where we're going with today's story, it is a, it's an amazing contrast between humility and hostility. That's what the story really, really shows to me. The, the dichotomy between humility and hostility. And when we take a good look at, at the attitude of Paul uh, versus the people that he's trying to reach, there's such a stark difference. And I think as we examine the story, we are bound to, to compare ourselves with Paul and hopefully we'll notice where we're falling short in certain areas. Okay, and, and on top of that though, okay, because I know we're going to say, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not Paul. I fall short of his attitude. But on top of that, I'm certain we're going to pick out a lot of similarities between this angry mob and the worldly people who today are kind of, you know, out to get Christians, so to speak. But, you know, and, and that's, that's important, I think, for us to, to have realistic expectations of what to, what to know the world is going to think. But what I also want to ask you to do is this. See if you recognize any of the crowd's mentality in yourself. Because I will tell you that I see some of it in myself. And I think we are all going to recognize a little bit if we're honest with ourselves. So friends, uh, please stay alert. I think you're going to receive a blessing today from the Lord. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll begin. God, I thank you so, so much for the blessing of being able to preach your word. And Father, you know how desperately I want to get things right when I preach and when I teach. And um, Father, I, I just pray in Jesus' name that, um, that the people that are here are led closer to your kingdom and never away. I pray, Father, that we, um, 
that we drink deeply of your word and that it satisfies us and that we are uh, given a, a new insight into ourselves, into the nature of things, and to see the character uh, that you have displayed, Father, through a Paul who is imitating Christ, who is a perfect, uh, a perfect representation of who you are. And so, Lord, we, we honor you today. We ask that you give us the ability to focus in. And since we're going to be moving fast, help us all to keep up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, so for a little bit of context, just a, here's a quick reminder of what Paul has been dealing with or what's happened to him prior to this point. He has been, uh, he's been voluntold, essentially, by the Christian church in Jerusalem to go join up with some other Jewish men who were taking up a, a religious vow. And he was supposed to go with them and pay their expenses for their vow and get his head shaved along with them. Does anybody remember why? Some of you probably do, and you're like, but I don't want to shout it out. That's okay. Um, because the people had been hearing a lot of, the people of Jerusalem had been hearing a lot of untrue and semi-true things about Paul, about what he'd been teaching, about what, uh, what he'd been doing. And so the church wanted to, to calm their fears by intimating that Paul was still practicing Judaism as well as being a practicer of the way, which is what they called Christianity at this time. And the irony is that Paul was no longer obligated to follow the law of Moses, okay? At least certainly not for, for any sort of salvific, you know, means. Um, however, for the sake of, of not putting a stumbling block in the way of these other Jews that he was trying to reach, he went along with their request. And so this is a solid reminder for us that humility strives to prevent offense. Humility strives to prevent needless offense. That's an important word there. I left it out the first time. Needless, okay? Sometimes you have to offend for the sake of truth, for the sake of the gospel, but you don't want to do it needlessly, okay? Recently, we, we discussed the idea of laying down one's rights for the sake of another person's relationship to Christ, and there was a, there was a lot involved in that, so if you want to hear more about this subject, you can always go back. Uh, it's on our website, um, the message from February 26th, which was just a couple of weeks ago. If you ever want to look at a previous message, you can get online, go to crossroadchristian.org. By the way, it's crossroadchristianchurch, uh, crossroadchristian.org. So go on there, uh, click the podcast tab at the top, and it'll take you to various podcasts, and you can click one, download it, listen to it later. Anyway, the Apostle Paul was trying very hard not to get in between the Jews and the message of salvation in Christ. And so um, as long as no one was trying to say that the only way to be saved had to do with following the Mosaic law or otherwise compromise the gospel, Paul was willing to, to go along with whatever he was asked to do by the church for the sake of these Jewish believers. They were immature in some ways, and he was willing to help them. His, his whole motivation here, it wasn't to, to create any offense or to cause any drama. He wanted to win souls for Jesus, okay? And in that respect, we see that another characteristic of Paul's humility is that he always tried to have the very best of intentions, which is how humility ought to work, right? You know, we, we should always... Always strive to have good intentions in everything that we do. And this sounds like it ought to be a no-brainer, but, but the fact is, we are not as good as we think we are. I just hope you, you all know that. We're not as good as we think we are. For instance, when, when we correct someone, 
whose opinion really rubs us the wrong way, is our main motivation the desire for them to understand and properly walk in truth? <laughs> Thank you for answering out loud. <laughs> or is it to prove them wrong and make them look stupid? Right? I'm serious about this. It's a real question for us to ask ourselves. What's my motivation for the things that I do? You know, there was a time where, um, and hopefully this is mainly over with, but there was a time where if I was driving and I could see come, someone coming up behind me and they were going really, really fast or they were driving recklessly, my reaction wasn't the wise thing, you know, to move out of their way. It was to slow down and even box them in, you know, to get in front of them and, and, and mess them up. And, and, and one day my wonderfully wise bride asked me about this. She's like, why do you do that? And I said, I was trying to teach them a lesson. Now, at the time, I didn't realize how ridiculous that was, but the seed was planted, thank you, honey. And, and the thing is, if I am reacting pridefully, then teaching someone a lesson is not done with the best of intentions. It's intended to frustrate the other person. And on top of that, what, what if the person had a passenger with a medical emergency? You know, and they're trying to get to the hospital, and I'm blocking them in. You know, we, we don't know. Humility doesn't assume the worst about someone. Anyway, to, to truly teach someone a, a lesson, if it's an exercise in humility, it's going to be for the purpose of helping them grow, not just to stymie them, you know, not just to get in their way. And I, I think this is the example that we typically see in the Apostle Paul. Whatever we see him do, it's pretty much always done for the sake of others, right? Even, even though sometimes the personal cost to him is extremely high, he does things for the sake of other people. Yeah, and I want you to, to bear in mind now that, that Paul did what he was asked to do, you know, shaving his head with these guys, paying their expenses, going with them to the temple. He did this in good faith, okay, because he did it with great humility for the purpose of helping others grow in Christ. But unfortunately for Paul, it didn't have the intended result. And that's what we're going to pick up right now in verse 27. Okay? When the seven days, that Luke is referring to the vow, were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching against everyone, everywhere, against the people and the law in this place. Now, would you pause for a second and think about this? Does anyone remember hearing or reading Paul teaching anyone anywhere, let alone everyone everywhere, against Jews? No, or, or against the temple. No, or the Mosaic law. No, so, so, so I want you to just hold that thought. Moreover, they say, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For it says they had previously seen uh, Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. Bless you. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So in other words, they saw something and they misconstrued it. Friends, hostility presumes motives and accuses others rather than believing that they might have good intentions in mind. Now I want you to notice what they're saying here about Paul. Okay. First of all, they're, they're echoing false claims about stuff that, that Paul was, was believed to have said, but they hadn't seen those things said. They hadn't heard those things said. So 
They're just repeating rumors, which are potentially slanderous, and in this case they were certainly slanderous. But they're also making even more untrue assumptions based on flimsy evidence. You know, they, they said, oh, he's bringing Greeks into the temple, because they just happened to see him one day near the temple with a Greek. So they're making stuff up. Why? Because they're already predisposed against Paul. See, his, his reputation had already been poisoned by people who hated the gospel. And so the, the, the Jerusalemites, is that a word? The Jews in Jerusalem, they believed that Paul was there to lead them astray rather than to lead them to saving faith. And so Christians today, we should know, are often subject to just being the whipping boy for secular society, and this, this is nothing new. Okay, this happened all the way back then. You know, in the first century, Christians were accused of killing children and drinking their blood because pagans didn't understand under uh, communion. They didn't grasp the concept of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Nero accused Christians of starting that big fire that burned a huge portion of Rome, and so he made them scapegoats, and he tortured them mercilessly. And today, Christians are accused of, of, of hatred and bigotry and fill-in-the-blankophobia and, and anything else that can be thrown on us if it can stick, right? And we ought to expect that. But we should definitely not respond in kind. I'm going to say this again. We should respect, uh, we should respect, we should expect to be slandered, mistreated, and hated, but we should not respond in kind. We must not get involved in treating others in this way. Friends, even believers sometimes forget that our real enemies are not flesh and blood. If we're not careful, we end up demonizing people who, who stand on the other side of whatever fence we choose. Or we, we lump them into categories that maybe are true for some but not for others. You know, a, a hostile attitude will not distinguish between a person who is malignant and one who is misled. But a humble person can discern such things and tries to discern such things. So friends, let's not presume to know someone's motives until they have borne fruit. Because we don't want to presume on someone. We don't want to impugn anyone's heart. Okay? So the Jews are calling out for their buddies, help, help! And then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, Word came from the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Okay, at what point did they start beating Paul? I mean, just think about this, okay? Go back, go back over that paragraph really quickly. Okay, just, just take a look at it. And ask yourself, how long do you think it took word to get to the tribune to went to grab some cops, basically, and run back over there. Probably took a little while. Long enough for Paul to get the tar kick out of him, I would think. And this just goes to show that unlike humility, 
which withholds judgment until there is fruit. Hostility passes sentence without trial. Not only did they not have any evidence that Paul had done the things that he was being accused of, they were also apparently not following the, the protocol that the Mosaic law demands for administering corporal punishment. If you're going to beat somebody, there's supposed to be a series of, of things that lead up to that. If the Sanhedrin had held court, then, then they could have had him whipped, but it would have been no more than 40 times. This was apparently a spontaneous attack by, by what was essentially a first century lynch mob. You know, these people just, they got together and they were probably beating him with their fists and anything else they could grab nearby that looked like it would hurt. See, in their, in their hostile mindset, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. I want you to ask yourself if you ever do this. And their hostile mindset, they just knew that he was guilty of all these things he was being accused of. No need for proof when you're sure, right? At least that's how a hostile attitude works. I'm pretty sure we have all been guilty of this from time to time. I know that I have. But a humble attitude says, this is what I think but I am open to the possibility that I may be wrong. Let's see what the evidence says. Verse 33, Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. See, that's what happens when nobody has their facts straight. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought to the barracks. This is nuts here. And when he came to the steps... He, that's Paul, was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of people followed, crying out, Away with him! You know, folks, another sign of hostility is that it is marked by chaos and violence. And we've seen a lot of this the last few years. Mentally speaking, most of us are herd animals that get swept up in the emotion of the moment. And we feed into it just as we're feeding off of it. And there is no redemptive quality to a riot. You know, statistically speaking, did you know, you probably did know this because the statistics have been around a long time. People are far dumber in groups than we are as individuals. Did you know that? In some cases, it seems like every person that gets added to the group lowers the IQ <laughs> a couple of points. It, it, it's the nature of the beast, literally the nature of the beast. But humility seeks order, not chaos. Humility wants justice tempered with mercy, not wanton violence. Let's keep reading. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian, then, who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? I don't know much about this Egyptian guy he's talking about. He must have been well-known at the time, and he sounds pretty scary, right? Rabble-rouser. Is he? Well, I didn't look them up, so, but that's good to know. So he, this is a famous dude, apparently, that the Tribune is referring to. So... Whatever the case was, he saw so much hatred 
and anger aimed at this one particular guy. He thought Paul was somebody truly awful. And of course, Paul, he's just a Jewish guy trying to teach his fellow Jews that the Messiah had come in the person of the Son of God and he died on the cross to pay for their sins and he rose from the dead. You know, this this true message had the power to save them from eternal hell and grant them everlasting life in Jesus, but they weren't giving Paul a chance to speak. Now I ask you, did Paul lose his cool? As a cucumber, this guy. He, in fact, look at the tone he uses with the tribune. May I say something to you? I mean, he, he, what is that, y'all? That's, that's polite. That's respectful. I mean, Paul here is in the right. And he just received a, a, a painful and illegal beating from a mob, but here he is asking politely, may I say something to you? I think it's a good thing that the Tribune wasn't into dad jokes or he would have said, you just did, you only get one. <laughs> no, in spite of the rough circumstances, Paul showed deference to the Tribune, and I think this reminds us that generally speaking, humility is gentle. Humility is gentle. We're going to see later that a humble person can be gentle even when asserting his individual rights. But we're going to go ahead with this for now. Um, For the sake of contrast, think about how a person with a hostile attitude responds when they're wronged. They respond angrily, right? Furious, wrathful, in some cases with righteous anger. But how much good does that normally do? Yeah. None. I'll tell you, as a person who is, who's unfortunately uh, had more than my fair share of interactions with police officers, they are far more likely to respond with grace and mercy when you are behaving with humility rather than hostility. If you want someone to shut down on you, berate them when they're doing their job. It does not go over well. Even anger and frustration, if handled with humility, will usually result in a positive response. And it's going to benefit you rather than harm you. Anyway, verse 39, Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Again, again, he's not acting entitled here. He's seeking to win over the tribune with his humble attitude, and it works. And when he had given him permission, you see, it worked. Paul, uh, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. I want to know what the motion was. I don't know. Was it like simmer down? Was it, I mean, we don't know what Paul did, but whatever it was. He motioned with his hand, and they began to, to hush. It was a great hush. And he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, dot, dot, dot. Now, this is funny to me. This is one of the only places I can think of in the Bible. Most of you know the Bible wasn't originally written in chapter and verse, right? That was actually a 16th century. There's a soldier. His name was uh, Roberta Stephanus, and he, he decided to add them. I guess it was probably so people could memorize it easier and, and have, you know, reference would be easier. But this is one of the only places I can think of in the New Testament where a chapter ends with a cliffhanger. <laughs> it's kind of funny to me, right? Anyway, so he addressed them in the Hebrew language saying, 
We're going to find out what happened because we're going to read through chapter 22, okay? And because we're coming back probably next week to discuss Paul's testimony, we're not going to cover that today. So this is going to go quicker in the first part of the message, so don't freak out, okay? Before we jump in, uh, I just want to point out that Paul, who again has just been very badly beaten by these very people, has asked for permission to speak publicly to them yet again in order to share his testimony with them, in order that some of them might be saved. Who else do we know that sought the welfare of those trying to kill him? Thank you. Say it out loud. Say it again. Jesus. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, he was himself from the cross. He asked the Father to forgive those who were putting him to death. Now, what a perfect example he set that's now being imitated by Paul. Friends, listen, humility cares about other people, even their enemies. Humble people need to care even about their enemies. Paul was already in trouble. He could have been bitter. He could have been resentful about it, but he could have decided, you know what, they're just not worth the effort. That's not what he did. Instead, he tried once more to share the truth of Christ with his countrymen because he wanted them to be saved. He followed the teachings of Jesus who, who says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, a humble person knows that our own rights are less important than the soul of another human being. Made in the image of God. We're, we're going to skim over his testimony, but we need it kind of for context for the end of the message. So, so just know, again, we're going to dive into this further on another day. Starting in chapter 22, verse 1. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. Now, this is interesting because you'd think they'd already know Paul's a Jew and he spoke Hebrew, but maybe he'd been speaking Greek before. We don't know because um, most of the Roman Empire spoke Greek at this point. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I want you to just, for the sake of understanding, know what Paul is doing here is laying a foundation for credibility. Okay? He's also emphasizing the fact he's Jewish, raised in Jerusalem, and a student of Gamaliel, who is, who is one of the most impressive rabbis in that, that time. You know, he, he wants them to know that he was right where his audience currently is. Except even more, he, he was a stellar example of a, a zeal-filled Jew. And then he goes on to explain that he had been the enemy of Christians at first. So picking up in verse 4, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Again, he's setting up here, this, the, the, here's who I was, for the sake of getting his audience to accept that, that he had been as much on their side as one could possibly be. But he's also giving them uh, the opportunity to get ready for this contrast of what comes next. You know, you know the story. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. 
and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. There is so much to this testimony. Um, we are going to dig into it, just not today, um, probably next week. But continue verse 17. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing there and approving and, and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Uh, if you don't remember that, by the way, that's all the way back in Acts chapter 7. Um, Paul himself was present for the stoning of Stephen, who was the very first Christian martyr. And if you read the story with kind of a 21st century understanding, you might think that Paul was like a coat check boy. You know, that he was just kind of there as a, a side note. He wasn't really involved in the stoning. But the fact is, the fact he was taking coats probably indicated he was there to preside over it. Like, he was an active part of this stoning of the very first Christian martyr. Again, credentials. He's also explaining to the audience why he seems like such an odd choice for the Lord's message. And then the... At the same time, by mentioning that God had told them the Jews wouldn't receive his message, he's kind of winding up for that gut punch that he's going to deliver to him in verse 21. And he said, go, for I will send you away to the Gentiles. Uh-oh. It says, up until this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, he should not be allowed to live. That's kind of harsh, right? I mean, these people... All along, the Jewish people have been taught that they alone were acceptable to God if you followed all the rules and that everybody else was no better than dogs. And to hear that they might have the wrong worldview was just unacceptable. But instead of hearing them out, you know, and then responding with, with logic and reason, they decided he deserved to die because hostility despises those who think differently. Whereas humility is willing to be patient with those who disagree and to try to win them over, hostility attacks the dissenter. Now, friends, we are seeing in our society today, in myriad ways, people that are hostile to the dissenters. Of course, most of us Christians are probably identifying more with those being mistreated because, because of the fact that we hold to, to biblical values. 
I mean, it, it's really obvious. I, I try not to get overly political in the pulpit, um, but the far left fringe of society has become extremely vocal about their hostility towards our faith. Okay? But many Christians are responding to that hostility by demonizing not only those people, but everyone who shares their values. And I want to encourage you, friends, we are to be humble, not hostile. Please understand, humble does not mean being a doormat. Jesus was no doormat. He was, he was perfectly humble, and yet until the time ordained by his father for him to suffer and die, he was confrontational as needed. You know, at other times, he would, he would walk away, or he would warn his followers, you know, hey, beware the influence of these wicked people, and he would have to name names. So I want you to understand, being humble doesn't mean putting your head in the sand. It means understanding that any rightness that you have is not inherent to yourself, but it is God who has given you the gift of faith and he has opened your eyes to salvation. He has given you the ability to see the truth that others are blind to. You need to understand it's a gift. Humility means refusing to respond in kind to those who are hostile because their eyes have not been opened. Humility means desiring that God opens their eyes too so that they will receive the same mercy and grace that you've received. That is loving your enemies. That is praying for those who persecute you. That is being like Jesus. Now let's finish this narrative. We're going to starting in, in verse 23. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, these guys are really classy, uh, the tribune ordered them, ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks saying that he should be Examined by flogging, which is literally just, uh, it's like saying, let's test you by torture <laughs> to find out what they were shouting against him like this about. Now, can you imagine for Paul to be rescued from one beating to just be thrown right into another one? You know, that's, that's where they were trying to take him here. But we see, once again, Paul humbly, humbly asserts his own rights. Okay, verse 25. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and uncondemned? I want you to notice here, Paul isn't rude. He's not being demeaning. He simply asks a question that he knows the answer to. It is not lawful, okay? In fact, it was very illegal for a Roman official to flog a Roman citizen without trial. So illegal, in fact, that if official would do that, that person would be subject to the same treatment or worse because they violated that Roman citizen's rights. And I think this can be instructive to us. If, if we have legal rights at our disposal to keep us from unnecessary suffering, it, it, if it doesn't violate our faith or our conscience, we ought to use those. We should take advantage of those. You know, Paul, he not only spared himself being tortured again, but he also spared those who would have tortured him from a far worse fate. So he's actually looking out for somebody else here, too. Anyway, we, we have laws for a reason. And so it's good to know what our legal rights are when it comes to exercising our faith. Um, if the government is harming you by doing something illegal, they do not have that right. And it's good for us to learn how to legally protect ourselves from governmental overreach. Now that said, if we're ever 
placed in that situation, we should do so with humility, not hostility. Continuing on. When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do for this man as a Roman citizen? So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Paul said, yep. The tribune answered, I bought the citizenship for a large sum, which probably means he, he bribed somebody. Uh, but Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to ex- examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen, and he had bound him. Guys, even binding Paul was illegal. That could have resulted in the tribune being jailed, okay? But notice, Paul had mercy on him. Paul didn't push that. He got what he wanted. He, he got not beaten, so instead of putting somebody else under punishment, Paul let that go, okay? Last verse. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, the tribune unbound Paul and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. Now, this whole day's event, now that was the next day, okay? But this, this whole day that we just read, it set in motion um, Paul's eventual ability to, to meet with Caesar. And all through that time, he got to meet, we'll, we'll, we'll read about his meeting with Felix and, and with uh, Bernice and, you know, and uh, another king, Agrippa. He goes through all these different people. He gets to share the gospel of Christ with kings and queens, and it produced some amazing fruit for the Lord. And I want to just wrap up this message with this. Friends, God can use us to get his message out and bring people to salvation. So my question for you is, do you want him to do that? Do you want him to use you to get his gospel of salvation to people? Do you want people to be saved and go to heaven instead of hell? I don't feel like enough people are responding. Do you want to share the gospel and see people's lives change and their eternal eternal de- uh, destination changed? Yes, I hope so. That is the role we've been given. So if you are in support of that, then let's live with humility, not hostility. Let our lives reflect the the humble nature of Christ in all of our interactions with one another and with the world at at large. And let's, let's respond not in kind, but with kindness. That same Apostle Paul in the last verse of Romans 12 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what Jesus did. I'm going to ask this rhetorical question and expect an answer. Do you want to be like Jesus? Yes. It starts with faith in him and with accepting his lordship in your life. That's your first step. You can't truly follow Christ without being obedient. What he's calling you to do is place your faith in him completely for your eternal life, for your eternal salvation. The first step in that is to confess your faith publicly before your brothers and sisters in Christ and then to be baptized by immersion as Jesus taught in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And from that moment on, you need to be walking according to Christ's Will, you should be connected to a body of believers. And we have a great body of believers here. 
I'm convinced. You know, I know that, that there's some great churches in the world, and I've worked in a lot of churches. This is a very special place. It really is. This is a good place for you to be, for you to grow in your faith, for you to experience growth and, and uh, a deeper walk with Christ. So if, I want you to just take a look at this, and if any of this is something that you go, I need to do that, then come forward.